Good morning to you. My name's Peter Milliken. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, I get to bring God's word to us. Before I jump straight into uh, the, the sermon today, I do just want to stop and, and um, say thank you. Uh, thank you to Pete and the elders who have given me uh, their trust and opportunity to preach God's word. Um, I, I really appreciate that from them and feel um, their support. Um, so I want to thank them. I also want to thank you guys. Uh, it is a privilege to be able to spend a good chunk of my week and working week in God's Word, being able to study it and put together you know, some teaching for you guys, and you, you allow me to do that. And it's my privilege that I get to stand up here and you know, teach God's Word to you. And so I want to thank you guys as well for um, allowing me to be able to do that. So um, I'll, uh, I'll finish up today, uh, preaching that is, not my job, um, <laughs> after a decent series, and, and Pete will be back in the pulpit next week for a little bit. Um, so I just, I just wanted to communicate how much um, I love doing this and love preaching to you guys, and so thanks for letting me do that. Uh, we've been in Luke, we've been in a series called uh, Salvation Revealed. It's all been about Jesus coming in uh, flesh as we worked our way through the Christmas series. And uh, we've continued in Luke um, post-Christmas as well, following Jesus uh, as, as Luke gives testimony to who he is, what he does, and what happened when he was around. And so we, we will continue in Luke today. There's two things um, I want to tell you this morning, or I think that our passage teaches, and um, those two things are really simple to say, um, and you have all heard them if you've been a Christian or you've been in the church for any small amount of time. Um, you, you've heard them regularly. You probably hear them every single week that you're here, um, and, and those two things are that God saved you. And God loves you. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who's a, quite a famous theologian, um, he, he said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Um, C.S. Lewis responded to that and said, actually, um, that's of no importance at all. What is really important is not what we think of God, but what does God think of us? That's infinitely more important, is what he said. And the reality is that most of you know that God has saved you and that God loves you. But you struggle to believe that in its entirety, in its, in its full capacity. Deep down in your core, you, you have a hard time believing that God loves you. You have no problem telling other people that God loves them. You, you have no problem saying the words. And you repeat them often to others to encourage them or to remind them. But they're hard for you at times to, to get there yourself, about yourself. Because you know yourself better than Anybody else, you know the depths of your struggle. The words that come to mind as you think of things that you have done. And the idea that God could love you 
can be hard to grasp, to believe in its fullness. And this morning, I want us to look at a passage in Luke that I hope helps you to get a little bit further and a little bit closer to the truth and to believe it in your core that God has saved you and he loves you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3. And uh, we'll be in just two verses this morning. Verses 21 and 22, we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus. And in these two verses, we have everything we need to understand salvation and God's view of us through Jesus Christ. So let's read Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. This is what it says. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In this first verse, we have Jesus coming to the Jordan River where John the Baptist has been baptizing people and Jesus himself goes to John and asks him to baptize him and it takes place. And the immediate question that we ask and often I get is, why did Jesus have to be baptized at all? If John was baptizing for sin and repentance, why would Jesus, the sinless one, have to be baptized. And it comes back to the last, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, when we looked at Jesus being circumcised in the temple and following the law, it comes back to that Jesus is going to be our righteous substitute. He's going to be the one who does everything that we should have done. He will be the example, the model, the fulfillment of a righteous Jew. And so he's going to be perfect in everything that he does. He will do everything that we should have done. And he will go forth and be baptized in the waters. He will be a righteous substitute for sinners. And so he gets baptized. And then Jesus prayed. We don't know what he prays. It says the text says that he was praying. Don't know what exactly he was saying but he was talking to his heavenly father. And while this is happening, this incredible scene unfolds for us. And um, the text says that heaven was opened. And we we get the, you know, the the picture of like maybe clouds departing and um, opening up and a maybe sun shining through or blue sky being revealed. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but we do know that when heaven opens in in the Bible, when that language is used, it is an indicator that God is about to reveal something. He is about to bring revelation. And we have revelation here in two, two pieces The first one is going to be a a visible, physical um, representation. And the second one is going to be a verbal revelation 
from God the Father himself. The first one is the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in the form of something like a dove. It doesn't say uh, that it was a dove. Many people think it, it was a dove, but when you read the text, it says it was like a dove. It's a, it's a simile used there. And so we have to ask the question, why a dove? And there's a bunch of uh, potential you know, answers to that. I, I'd like to give you the, what I think to be the best reason why um, it was a dove. It was, it was seen like a dove. And I think that goes back to Genesis 8. In Genesis 8, we have a dove. And the story is that Noah and his family are saved from judgment. They get on the ark. The world is flooded. And as the waters are are reducing, Noah sends out a dove to see if uh, there's any life. right? And the dove goes out and it comes back and it has an olive branch in its mouth. And this was to indicate to Noah that there was life out there. Um, And when you look at the olive branch, not only does it indicate life, but you could use that olive oil as they would for for burning and it could create light as well. And so within this symbolic uh, dove, you have the idea that there is light and life in it and escape from judgment has taken place in Genesis 8. And so it seems as though this dove coming upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit descending upon him, is the indication from God the Father that in this one will be light and life. In this one, judgment can be escaped and salvation can be found. I think that is the best explanation of the dove. And then we have a verbal testimony from God the Father himself. He's about to speak. And this has not happened in a very long time. We haven't heard uh, from God the Father specifically or directly in the book of Luke at all yet. In fact, it's been hundreds of years of silence from God himself. And he's going to speak and this is a phenomenal moment and, and very important for us to grasp what he is about to say. So far in the book of Luke, we have had angels bring revelation and speak about who Jesus is and what he will do. Um, we've had John the Baptist give testimony to him previously. We, we didn't go through that, but you know, he said, this is the, there is one coming who is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to um, untie. We've had uh, Simeon, this Old Testament saint in the temple, give give revelation and, and testimony to Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah. We've had shepherds come who have heard from angels who have said, this is the Savior of the world, the one we have been waiting for. And all through the gospel of Luke so far, we have heard revelation from various witnesses and testimonies about who Jesus is and what he's going to do. It is as if God wants you to know, don't miss this. One after another, they tell, they tell us who he is and what he will do. And now God himself will give testimony and revelation about who Jesus 
is. What does he say? You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There's three parts to examine here. The first is the, uh, the identity of Jesus as my son. Almost all agree that this is actually a reference to Psalm 2. And um, many of you probably haven't read Psalm 2 or don't know exactly what Psalm 2 is off the top of your head. And so let's just quickly jump back there for a minute because this is important to understand what is going on. In Psalm 2, you have uh, the, the kings of the world and the rulers creating an alliance against God himself, God the Almighty. And uh, that they are going to um, rebel against God. And they come up with this, uh, this plan to be able to do that. And uh, it says in verse 2, The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointing. Saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Let us go our own way. And be rid of God himself. And God's very worried about this. He's very threatened by this. In verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs. That, that, that seems to be how ridiculous the idea is that the will of man could overpower the God of creation, the Lord Almighty, that their will would be done instead of his. God's not worried. See, he has a plan that can't be thwarted. It cannot be changed. In verse 6, it says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. That there would be a king who would reign on earth. And he would be in Jerusalem. And then the king himself Uh, Then he speaks about the king himself in verse 7. He says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This seems to be the reference that we get in Luke at the baptism of Jesus, a reference to Jesus being the Psalm 2 king that had been prophesied about in Psalm 2. God wants everyone there to know, this is the one. This is my son. And um, he's going to be the one that will rule and reign. And uh, in Psalm 2 it says... Blessed are those who take refuge in him. He will be the one that if you take refuge in, you will escape the judgment of the rebellious. And you can, you can be safe in him. And that is what Christ does. He, as that perfect substitute for our sins, goes to the cross and takes the punishment that we deserved. And in turn, we escape judgment if we're in him. 
And uh, from this point on, we're not going to necessarily look at where we once were. The next two parts is of, of what the Father says about the Son is really about what, what he thinks of his Son and therefore what he thinks of us. Look at the second thing that he says about Jesus. My son whom I love. The word there is agapetos in the Greek. It, it means beloved. This is my beloved. And um, Jesus is loved by the Father. That is clear across all of the Gospels. And we talked about this last week, that Jesus was one with the Father, and the Father's life was in him, and the Father's love was on him, and he was, he was beloved by the Father. He is beloved by the Father. And the reason that's so important is that when we come to faith in Jesus, we're brought into this, this, this family dynamic of Father, Son, and Spirit, and that means the same way that God feels about the Son is the same way that God feels about us. If we're in Christ. And I want to show you how this plays out. If you turn over to Romans chapter 1, Christ has gone to the cross. He has resurrected from the grave. He has ascended into heaven. The church has begun. Um, there is a, believers, a community of believers that are meeting in, in Rome. And Paul writes a letter to them. And it's full of Jews and Gentiles. And look at what he says in Romans chapter 1 verse 7. As he's addressing them. To all who are beloved of God. In Rome. Called as saints. You see that? It's the same word agapetos. Used of Jesus at his baptism. Is now used of the saints in Rome. Those who have been saved. By what Christ has done. Because we are saved into that relationship that Jesus experiences and is part of. We are beloved of God when we are in Christ. We have new identities as sons and daughters. I mentioned Lewis earlier. Let me read you something that he says. It is written that we shall stand before him talking of God, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive the examination, shall find approval, shall please God in that examination. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. It seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. God's heart 
is filled with tenderness and delight at the mere thought of you. When you love someone and you think of them, it just makes you smile. Right? And that is how it is when God has you in his mind. That it brings a smile to his face. And, and some of you don't have a category for that. Um, and, and it could be hard to fully grasp that and to see that. But all of us have a category for delighting. Right? All of us have an understanding of what it means to delight in something, to find joy in something. Because we all find joy in something. Right? And it can be in the most sort of mundane sort of things and it can go, you know, on a scale of depth all the way through to um, the, the way you feel about your kids or your spouse or your, your parents at, at a good time, right? Uh, we can feel some other things about those people too. But um, even at the most basic level, all of us can understand that we can delight in something or that we do delight in something. And so let me give you the most, one of the most surface level examples for me, um, and, and that is mowing the lawn, right? I love looking at a finished mown lawn. It, it just, there's something inside me that just genuinely appreciates that. I love looking at it. It's all even across the grass. All the edges are done. They're straight. You can see the lines where the mower has gone back and forth. There's that smell of freshly cut, cut lawn, right? And I like just, when I finish that, to sit there, have a cold beverage and look at that green pasture, right? And it just brings a smile to my face. I can't even help it now. I'm smiling about it, right? It's just, I just enjoy it. I find delight in it, right? And um, now don't get the wrong idea. I don't want to mow other people's lawns. So don't come up to me after and just like, I've got a job you're going to delight in. Um, I don't get that same thing from mowing other people's lawns. So, uh, right, and on a very small scale... I have, I have this idea of what it means to delight in something. Now, for other people, you're wired differently, right? You will find delight in reading a good book and sitting on the couch with a hot cup of coffee on a winter's day. Or you love cooking. And there's something about just that aroma that fills the, the kitchen and that finished product that you get to just... Uh, taste and share and there's just something wonderful that you experience about that or it's it's fishing or you know you all have something right every single one of you delights in something and so we have these little clues built into us of delight and joy and we have to enlarge those to get even close to the idea of what God feels about us. Uh, when I was, um, Karen and I, that's Karen's my wife, when I was, um, we, we were dating and we had, oh, I think we'd been dating close to a year, something like that. And um, we had just spent COVID lockdown um, together at her parents' place with the rest of her family uh, for a few months. And we had spent so much time together. And, you know, I tell people that's where we fell in love. You know, and that's another story. Um, 
and means different things to different people. But I was going back to Australia. I was coming back, my brother was getting married and I was going to spend a couple of months here. And Karen was moving from her um, share house that she was in to another one and I helped her pack all her boxes up and get them ready for her to move and then I was flying out uh, that night back to Australia and the next day her family was coming to help actually physically move the boxes from the house to the new house. Right, does that make sense? And... um, Karen had to go out for something. can't remember what it was. She was going somewhere. I remained at her place and kept packing some boxes. And in those boxes, I decided I would write little sticky notes. Uh, I know, quite the romantic. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Um, don't do it anymore. Uh, no, that's not true. It's just different. Um, and on those sticky notes, I just wrote little in-jokes or reminders of the way that I felt about her. Right, uh, and you know some of them were things that wouldn't even make sense if I wrote them, uh, said them here. But just things like, um, "I'm going to miss you so much." Um, the last three months have been such a wonderful time. Um, you are the Pam to my gym, if you know The Office, um, and we watch The Office a lot over lockdown. You know, just those sorts of things, so that when she would open the boxes, what would she find? Well. Unfortunately, all her family opened the boxes. Um, But they would go to her and bring these notes one at a time of like, here's another note I found in the box. And uh, she would have this collection of of sticky notes, right? And those sticky notes were only a fraction of the way that I felt about her. They're only just small little, you know, one sentence um, clues that I could leave for her that would not even be able to to fully express the way that I loved her and how I felt about her. But they helped to hopefully begin to communicate some of that. And I think God has left sticky notes. And one of those sticky notes is that you know what delight is and you, you feel it towards different things. To, to different people, to different activities, and it's inside of you. It's ingrained. It's there. Everybody has it. And I think it's a sticky note that's meant to point you to, to a, a God who feels that way about you. Except it's even greater and grander and deeper and stronger than how I feel about a cut lawn. For God... He delights in his son. And if we're in the son, God loves us the same way he loves his son. This is good news. This is the gospel. Tim Keller says this. You've probably heard this before. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We're part of the rebellion in Psalm 2. That's where we used to be. We were on the wrong side. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We were rebels and orphans, but we have found safety and refuge in the Son 
and we are now sons and daughters. Now, <clears throat> this is really important. So if you've tuned out, just tune back in for a sec. Beloved, that word, it's a noun, not a verb. It's about being, not doing. This is not an identity that is earned or that has to be kept up by actions. This is an identity that is given to you. Look at the third thing that God says about Jesus. With you, I am well pleased. How much of Christ's ministry had he got onto at this point that God the Father says is about his son? Answer? None of it. He was about to start his public ministry. He hadn't done any healings. He hadn't done any preaching. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't been resurrected. He hadn't, you know, taught the disciples anything. He hadn't done it. And yet, here's his father saying to him, In you I am well pleased. God delights in the son before he's done anything. And he will go on to do those things because he is the son. But he just is pleased in his son. It's just what a good father does. It's just how a good father is. And some of you didn't have good fathers and you can't understand that or grasp that. And all of us had flawed fathers in some way. But here's the picture of a good father, that he delights in his son. And it's not about what the son does. It's just because it's a relationship. And if you're, if you're a dad, you would know this or understand this a little bit more. Or even a mom, if you're a parent, you would know that you love your kid before they're even born. Right? There is, you, as soon as you know they're alive and there's some life in there, you love them. You haven't even met them. You haven't even seen them. You don't know what they're like. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know how they're going to treat you. You just love them because they're yours. And that gets tested as they come out of the womb and do all sorts of you know, stuff that you, wouldn't, you don't really you know, want them to do. But the... The love you have for them is there. It doesn't change because they get things wrong or they annoy you or they, you know, the, the love is, is ingrained in the relationship from day dot. You know, I've got a son, he's 15 months old and I just, I just love him. I love watching him, I love playing with him. There's a story to this photo in a second. I love watching him play Lego. I love watching him run around with his little legs. And, you know, like, I just, I just adore the guy. Don't get me wrong. He, he pushes buttons that I didn't know I had. And, uh, you know, he's created stress in, a, in my life in a way that I didn't know existed. But I, I love him because he's my son. And he doesn't have to earn that. He doesn't have to do anything to become my son. He doesn't have to keep doing something to stay as my son he is it my own flesh and blood this 
this photo took place, we were driving to the Sunshine Coast and he, Jack does not like driving, he does not like sleeping and so a combination of both was just a bad recipe and so we decided because he doesn't like um, driving, maybe if we left at night when he's supposed to be sleeping, he'll actually sleep in the car. So we didn't, we, we left Toowoomba for Caloundra at like eight o'clock at night, right? And um, thought, this will be great. He'll sleep the whole way. And um, he had other ideas and other intentions. And he just screamed and screamed for an hour straight, you know? And uh, the, the anxiety in my wife is skyrocketing. Like, I'm just boiling inside as I'm like, why can't you just sleep? You want to sleep? We want you to sleep. We can make an arrangement. And, um, you know, he's screaming like somebody's piercing him with a sword in the back there or something. And uh, eventually we just pulled over and I said, all right, let's just take a breather, get him out, see if we can settle him, all that stuff. And this is the breather. He just thought it was great. You know, he got out of the car and he's smiling and just thinking, how good's this? And we're pulling our hair out. And I couldn't help but smile because I was just like, this kid driving me crazy and I love him. I just love him. And you need to know this morning that God saved you and God loves you like a father does a son. And there is a security and a safety in your identity as a son and a daughter that you cannot find anywhere else. The father boldly asserts it from that place as heaven opened and um, the people there heard what the father thinks of the son. And going to the cross, the son will die for the punishment and rebellion that we all had towards God and he will pay that penalty in full that we might come into that relationship with the Father and experience the joy, the love, the acceptance that he has from eternity past and we are beloved, we're beloved, sons and daughters and so if you are in Christ God the Father says of you, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Can you hear that this morning? I mean, for yourself, not for somebody else. Can you hear that with your name? Sam, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jess, you are my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. See, Jesus didn't need to hear this. Jesus didn't need the visible sign of the dove, the Holy Spirit coming down on him like that. 
Jesus was always in relationship with the Father and the Spirit. He knew his, his place. He knew he was in perfect relationship and loved and delighted in by the Father. And yet these things took place so that everybody there and everybody who would read it for the next however many thousands of years would see that and would hear that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Jesus loved hearing that as a son would. But these two things happened so that those who were around and who saw it and who reported on it might see it and believe it and pass it on. Jesus is going to achieve his mission as the Son of God. He's laid down his life for the sins of the world. But he's not going to do it to become a son. He's going to do it because he was the son. And he will operate out of that safe and secure and cherished identity as he goes through the Gospels. Always connected to the Father and doing his will. And the Father being pleased with him. This is important because next Sunday we're going to start um, looking at what are we going to do here at Restoration Church this year. We're going to have Advancing the Mission Sunday. And we're going to talk about a bunch of things that we think that God has called us to do as his people and what it looks like to operate as sons and daughters. And, and I just want everyone to be really clear that we don't do these things and we're not going to call you and ask you to be part of these things because we're trying to live up to a, a title or we do these things because we're trying to twist God's arm in some way to make us his sons and daughters. We're not trying to convince ourselves through these things that we'll talk about next week. We, we desire to do these things because we are sons and daughters. We are beloved. And it's out of that identity that we want to operate. We don't want to try and operate out of something else to earn an identity. God has given us new identities, sons and daughters. Because God has saved us and God loves us. And it is evident and testified to at Jesus' baptism. I just wonder if... Um, well, I'd like you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Um, I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but... Um, yeah, would you, would you just do that? And um, as, as you have your eyes closed and the heads are bowed, I just want to read these words over you. Um, and, it, and I would, I'm just going to ask that you would try to hear these as words spoken to you from God the Father. And um, 
We're just going to sit in, in that for a bit. You are my son. You are my daughter. Whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are my son. You are my daughter. Whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Father, if we just could grasp it fully, we we would not desire anything else. We would be completely satisfied in your love. That's how perfect it is. Pray you would help us to believe it. I pray for those who sit before me who cannot believe it about themselves that by your Holy Spirit you would be testifying right now to them about the love that you have towards them. That you are well pleased with them because of Christ. We thank you for Jesus. That he came and lived the life that we could not. That he was perfect and righteous. And that he took our place so that we might have his. In him there is forgiveness of sins. There is adoption to sonship. And there is glory. A glory to come that when we stand before you, we won't just pass out of pity. But you will delight in us. We will be part of your joy and the joy of the kingdom. Help us to believe that. Amen.